0: Well, our main Bible reading is taken from Genesis 39 to Genesis 40. If using the Church Bibles, on page 33, and it says this. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, The Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put everything that he in, has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me, except you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he's brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice, And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as the master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offence against their lord, the king of Egypt. and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. He put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, So he asked Pharaoh's officer, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, Sorry, they said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head, restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only, remember me, when it is well with you, and please do not be, Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favourable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream, there were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket, There were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants, lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Well, in a moment we're going to have a look at that passage. But before we do, let me just remind you there's an opportunity to ask questions after the sermon. So I'll open it up, and we'll normally cover about three questions, depending on how long it takes me to answer them. Um, You have a sermon outline in your service sheet, which you can use if that's helpful. And finally, let me pray and ask God to help us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the great men who've gone before us, and how these great men you have fulfilled your plans through. But we can also see how you engage with them and you uh, stand alongside them. And as we reflect on these things, might we see that in our hardship you stand beside us as well. Amen. Well, Genesis 39 begins and ends in the same way. It doesn't matter what Joseph turns his hand to, he appears to be quite good at it. At the start of Genesis 39, he's running Potiphar's household, and he does it so well, Potiphar puts him in charge of everything. At the end of Genesis 39, Joseph is now in charge of all the prisoners, and the keeper of the prison confidently leaves everything in the hands of Joseph without the need to micromanage. Joseph appears to be good at everything. We may believe that this was because he was particularly diligent. But if we we have a closer look, Joseph's success is qualified. So, 39 verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. Then in 39 verse 23, the reason Joseph is given charge of the prison is because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And so Joseph is a successful man. But in what way is Joseph successful? He's been betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. He's then been bought by Potiphar to work as his slave. And then he's thrown into prison by the same Potiphar. It doesn't sound particularly successful. But then this isn't quite what the text is saying. Clearly Joseph isn't prosperous in every way. He isn't rich. He isn't free. He's not surrounded by family. He isn't having a good experience. However, what situation he does find himself in he succeeds at what he does within those confines. So he finds himself in a slave in Potiphar's household, and he becomes the most successful slave. He finds himself a prisoner in the king's prison, and he becomes the most successful prisoner. And the reason for his success was because the Lord was with him. Once again, we might expect if the Lord is with you, success would be in every way. But here we see the Lord's presence with Joseph does not guarantee all will go well with him. Amidst all the success that Joseph experiences, life is increasingly becoming worse. Sold into slavery, losing his position with Potiphar, and now thrown into prison. But there's still more we can add to this. Joseph's success has an impact upon those around him. So have a look at verse 5 of chapter 39. From the time that he made him overseer, Potiphar made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. The blessings of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. Joseph's presence in Potiphar's house is beneficial for Potiphar. In order to bless Joseph, God has to do so indirectly. God blesses Potiphar in order to bless Joseph. This brings to our minds... Genesis 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. In verse 3, we see that Potiphar saw that the Lord caused Joseph to succeed. So Joseph found favor in his sight and he made him an overseer of his house. Potiphar blessed Joseph by making him overseer of his house, and Potiphar benefited from Joseph's presence within his family. Now we could see Joseph's success as problematic. Potiphar is extremely happy with Joseph's work. Add to that Joseph's presence in Potiphar's house. Hold means everything flourishes, for Potiphar is blessed. It's hard to see how Potiphar would ever wish to lose Joseph. But some way or another, Joseph needs an audience with the Pharaoh. Not that he knows this at the moment. However, imagine if Joseph sees his days out in Potiphar's household. Would Joseph have ever found himself interpreting the dreams of anyone who had the ear of Pharaoh? If Joseph doesn't find himself before Pharaoh, when Pharaoh needs a dream interpreted, then Pharaoh will not understand that he is heading for seven years of famine, after seven years of well-nourishment, and no provision will be made. But this is where Potiphar's wife fits in. As we read the account, naturally we're meant to understand Joseph's demise as going from bad to worse. But from another perspective, the advances Potiphar's wife makes towards Joseph and his refusal to reciprocate and how he unfortunately leaves his garment behind and then the false accusations of Potiphar's wife all occur according to the providence of God. So that Joseph is present in prison when two of the king's servants arrive there. Now one of the things that holds the account of Joseph together is dreams. It's Joseph's own dream that both get him into this difficulty in the first place. It's his brother's hatred of him and his dreams that cause them to sell him. Yet at the same time, there is the promise of the dream that one day his family will bow down before him that causes us to anticipate his change in fortune. Now, as he's in prison, it will be the interpretation of two dreams that will provide him with the hope of a way out of prison. And then, of course, his audience with Pharaoh will be brought about through an interpretation of a dream. But once again, Joseph is only able to meet the two prisoners because of his success in prison. The distinguished prisoners deserve to be attended by the prison guard's best man. And so Joseph finds himself attending the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. At a point when they're both sad, Joseph doesn't allow his his own sadness to keep him from showing concern for others. He asks them, why are you downcast? They explain they've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. To which Joseph demonstrates his belief that it's only God who can interpret dreams. The cupbearer goes first and Joseph provides him with a favourable outcome. And so sure of his interpretation, Joseph then asks the cupbearer for a favour. The cupbearer will go free, and when he does, Joseph wishes him to mention Joseph to Pharaoh in the hope that he might be freed. Joseph's interpretation comes true. The cupbearer is free, but he forgets all about Joseph. So at the end of Genesis 40, Joseph is left still in prison. A number of times as we read in Genesis 39, that the Lord was with Joseph. We might expect the assertion that God is with his servant would mean all will be well with the person. But by the end of Genesis 40, Joseph is at his lowest point. Hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, sold to Potiphar, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison. Having interpreted the cupbearer's dream, his hope of release goes unfilled when he's forgotten about. And yet all this occurs alongside the repeated refrain, the Lord was with Joseph. But then this is an unusual theme in the Bible. It's a theme that reoccurs in the book of Psalms, as the Anointed One calls out to God because its enemies are rising up against him. In this case, the psalmist finds hope in the fact that the Lord is with him and he knows that God will vindicate him. There's the Lord's servant, the one upon whom God wishes to bestow his highest honour. And he does so, but he does so as he undergoes and endures the most severe of suffering. Jesus himself is in anguish in the garden as he anticipates the role his father has for him. And Jesus warns his followers that they too will need to be able to endure hardship. This is something the author to the Hebrews later encourages his readers to continue in their faith despite their hardship. And yet, in all these cases, the Bible speaks of God's purpose behind their hardship and endurance. Joseph's hardship is to provide the salvation of Israel. The psalmist endures hardship from his enemies, but one day his enemies will be made his footstool. The Lord's servant, he will endure hardship, but through it God will restore Israel and also draw all other nations into the people of God, providing salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus will go to the cross and bear God's wrath, providing salvation for the world. And the hardship of the Hebrews is intended to bring the readers to full maturity in Christ. And so the Lord is with his people as they and through their enduring hardship. And he will not fail them. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you as we read the book of Genesis and see the life of Joseph, that although he endured hardship, he did so with you, with him. We thank you for the many other examples that we can see in the Bible of this happening. where you work through in your providence the hardship of your servants to bring about, fulfill your purposes for the world. We thank you that you do not leave us in the dark, but you uh, help us to anticipate hardships that we may need to endure we thank you that we do all this in the context of knowing that the hardships of this world will come to an end as we anticipate the new heavens and the new earth where there will neither be hardship but there we will be with you and we will be at rest with you Amen Amen. Well, I mentioned at the start that we would open up for questions um, at the end of the sermon. That point has arrived. So any questions, comments or thoughts? Thank you. Yep, yeah, let me repeat that for recording. So at the end of verse 8 we read, Do not interpretations belong to God Please tell them to me. And the question is, um, is that an example of Joseph knowing that God is with him and therefore he'll be able to interpret the dreams? Um, Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, I guess it it never teases out just how he knows that he'll be able to interpret the dreams um, and where that confidence comes from. Um, But yeah, no, I think... Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes, Simon. Yeah, you alluded to the promise, Genesis 12:3, where God blesses uh, Ottopah and uh, because of Joseph. But we looked at the fact that the promise will go with Judah. So is it now spread out? throughout so the family because it was with Jacob now Israel and he's he now in different parts. Yeah, excellent question. So uh, let me just repeat that for the recording. So uh, what we've seen is we've gone from Genesis twelve one to 3 is that those promises tend to have a linear... Uh, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of just answering it, but the question will become clear as I answer it. So, yeah, when we see the promises of Genesis 12, 1 to 3, you've got, there's a promise of land, uh, blessing, and the specific one we mentioned today, and a big nation, is Genesis 3, I will, Genesis 12, verse 3, I'll bless those who bless you, and him, him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, that goes from Abraham, and then Abraham has a single son, which is Isaac, although he does have an illegitimate son, um, Ishmael. So the son gets passed quite straightforwardly to Isaac. Then Isaac has two sons that are twins, Esau and Jacob. To which there's a little bit more complication here because there's two sons who does the blessing go to. It's meant to go to Esau in as far as that's who Isaac wants to pass it to. But as we saw, God had already said that the promise would go to Jacob. And through deception, Rebekah ensures that it ends up with Jacob. So therefore, Esau is cut off. So these promises don't apply to him. He gets his own blessing, but not that one. But then Jacob, who gets renamed Israel, has... Well, 12 sons, but it's a bit more complicated. He has. Yeah, he has 12 sons, but you'll see what happens. He has 12 sons and a daughter. And then he calls all these sons in and he will do that. And we know and anticipate that the um, the promise will go to Judah. But it's not quite as simple as that. Because now... Jacob is renamed Israel, and the promise goes to Israel as a nation. So while the promise to Judah is the specific promise that he will become the king, or someone from his line will become the king, the promise is now given to the whole nation, to the whole, all 12 brothers and the whole tribes. So therefore, Joseph, as he represents an Israelite, in egypt then his presence within potiphar and later on we'll see in egypt means that they're blessed so yeah it gets a bit more complicated because now it's israel or jacob as israel's as 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 the nation of israel's father and then it gets gets dispersed through them but eventually well it's interesting we've taught this about this briefly on Wednesday because the other tribes play important parts in as things unfold so Moses was a Levite so he's born he has a a mum and dad who are both Levites and Aaron is his brother and he's a Levite so they play, play an important part in bringing about the Exodus um, and then I was looking at Samuel. Who was Samuel? Oh, I can't remember now. Anyway, um, Saul's the Benjaminite. David, obviously, is from Judah. Um, so it would be interesting to now go through and see how, what part each of the uh, tribes play in God's redemptive plan. Uh, I think we decided Simeon probably isn't going to play too much of a part because he's got swallowed up in Judah. Uh, in the studies in Joshua, so yeah, Is that okay, yes. time for one more. Or not. Victor. Uh, so Genesis nine verse five. The Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake, but when Egyptian deposit put Joseph into the prison, did that bless cease to exist? And in fact, he was trained to do that by his own wife. So is that made him guilty or not? Yeah, so let me repeat it first for the recording. So um, in verse 5 we see that um, Potiphar's blessed because Joseph's with him and because of Joseph's sake. But then Potiphar's going to send him to prison, so does that mean he loses his blessing? And then how culpable is Potiphar because ultimately he was tricked by his wife and yet he sent him to prison? In one sense... The the account of Genesis isn't too concerned with those questions, just simply because Potiphar is a a bit character, if you like. Um, I guess some of the things that we could probably conclude is, if you take uh, Genesis 12 verse 3, I'll bless those who bless you, but those who dishonor you will be cursed we might be able to draw the conclusion that things aren't going to go too well for Potiphar having sent him now to prison. And we've seen examples of that, like when the Egyptian pharaoh stole Abraham's wife, despite the fact that he was ignorant as well, but he was still punished nevertheless. It was only after Abraham interceded for him that he was then um, healed. So I think it's a fair assumption to make that he might be... Um, cursed interestingly you never hear about Potiphar again but again it's just because I don't think he plays that bigger, you know he's played his part in God's um, evolving plan Um, and then going back to the culpable thing, yeah in the same way that the um, well he was tricked he will be cursed. If he is cursed, he'll probably be cursed. But um, sort of ignorance isn't innocence. Um, but yeah, that's probably all I can say about that. Okay, let's leave it there. And we're going to sing our next song, which is King of Kings. And then we're going to have a brief reflection. When the Christian faces hardship, there's a temptation to leave Christianity behind. It might be because the hardship is directly related to being a Christian. Stop being a Christian, the hardship is gone. Or it may be Christianity is the one thing to do, it's just one more thing to do while you endure hardship. And so it is easier to allow it to fall by the wayside. But for the Christian who perseveres during hardship, his or her faith has been tested, and it's proved to be genuine. It's a faith that bears up under pressure, that remains through difficulty. and If it is held up now, it will hold up with future hardships. Maybe not at the time, but on reflection, there's a great joy when a Christian enjoys through hardship, because God is with them, And their faith is proved genuine. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you that you keep us through hardships. So please keep us through the testing of our faith. So that it would be shown to be genuine. Amen. Amen.